Well, hello, runners. Welcome to the I Run Things podcast, the podcast for the everyday runner in search for that extra bit of motivation to get out there. My name's Susie, and I am your host. Today, I bring you Frankie Reese, the co founder and race director for the Miami Marathon. In this interview, we go through how the Miami Marathon originated what it takes to organize a world-class marathon with 25,000 runners, and what it could look like due to COVID-19. For more inspiration and interviews with other running personalities like Frankie, don't forget to visit our other social media platforms. The links will be in the show notes. Without further ado, let's listen to Frankie's interview. I'm known around here as the, the co-founder of the Miami Marathon. Uh, the mayor says, well, do we have a marathon here in Miami? And we have 25,000 runners. We do about 2,000 volunteers. Whoever it is, we've had generals, we've had famous people, we, you name it, we've had at our start line. We're going through Ocean Drive and South Beach and the nightclubs are letting out. And the, I think every race director has their style. That's something that always bothered me about our industry. Hi, Frankie. How are you? How are you, Susie? Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, thanks to you for being on my channel because I know that you have a very tight schedule and um, I do appreciate it because you're in between. Um, there's a lot going on right now in Miami where you are. Yes. Uh, yes. And you have the t-shirt from We Run Miami. That's I'm right. super excited about that. Um, <laughs> Miami's a city that I've been, I think, three or four times in my nice. life. And it's so different to anywhere else in the United States. That's so right. every time I go, it's like you're immersed in this different culture. So it's, a, it's an amazing place. It really is. It's an amazing place. Yes. And I haven't run Miami Marathon, but I really want to run it. So um, this is your space. Um, I wanted to, um, to have you introduce yourself for people who may be watching this who are not familiar with who Frankie Reese sure. is. Sure. So. Um, once again, thank you for, for doing this. I, I think um, whoever referred me, however the connection was, I, I, I appreciate that person as well. So, um, but I uh, am known around here as the, as the co-founder of the Miami Marathon. I uh, started that uh, gonna be, this would have been the 19th edition in, in January. Um, but uh, besides that, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a dad. <laughs> I am uh, also a runner as well and I, and I coach, uh, uh, high school kids, I coach um, uh, adults, you name it. Uh, and then I'm also known as the uh, co-founder of the largest run club uh, in, some say in the world. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll let them keep saying that. But basically, um, we, we host eight different run clubs. And one of those is the Brickle Run Club, which is considered um, as, as one of the largest. Uh, we haven't met in a few uh, weeks, but uh, we... <laughs> We typically meet every week and it's a free uh, running club and that one has uh, anywhere from 400 to 800 people every Tuesday night. So I do that wow. and uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. And then besides that, I'm, I'm uh, pretty active in the local community, uh, being an advocate of parks and, and trails and, and I think that's where kind of my fire really comes from uh and and or, I, or my attention um is devoted when i'm not organizing a race or or producing something i'm i'm definitely engaged in that so i uh yeah that's a little bit about me I'm sure i skipped right. a few things but 
<laughs> so um, I can't. I can only imagine that with what we have going on right now with um, COVID, and what we, what we. I mean, I'm in the Northeast. You're in Miami. So what we hear right now is that Miami, Florida, in general, is getting a spike in cases right now. So mm -hmm. I imagine that has been. Um, a challenge for the community. How, I mean, with anywhere between 400 and 800 runners in your run club, that's yeah, a lot of so, people. Are you guys running virtually right now? Um, we, we did, we did a little bit of the Instagram live. We did some, we do some zoom runs here and there to just keep people uh, motivated and, and, and uh, in touch with them. But uh, it's obviously that many people, it's, it's tough to, it's uh, hard. To, to do things even, even virtually speaking. Um, and plus, it's I think you know been uh, fifteen or sixteen weeks since since we last met, so it's an extended period of time. Something that that uh, yeah, I mean, I, I look at and I can't believe. But yeah, we 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 know that Florida in general has had uh, you know some some issues here with this uh, this spike. Um, but I'm still seeing people out and about running and, and doing it as as safely as possible. Uh, I continue to be an advocate of uh, of Royal, which is uh, run on your own unless you're running with you know a trusted you know group of people that you either that stay in your house or 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 you know definitely don't have, don't have COVID. But um, right, yeah, I mean wear your mask. All the all that good stuff is still part of of our messaging, and um, we're just trying to stay in touch with folks with Instagram and sharing their stories, sharing the things that well, anytime they tag us or anything we can think about to, to put up, but it certainly has been a, a challenge, uh, no, no doubt, to keep the community uh, spirit uh, alive, for sure. Right, right. So how did you start running? I started when I was 10 years old. I, um, oh, wow. I, yeah, so I've been, I'm, I'm 41, <laughs> and I, I've been running for, for quite some time, and uh, my dad uh, just invited me one day and said, hey, let's go, let's go on a run together. So we did that and that, that just uh, kind of just introduced me to something that I never have turned my back on uh, since then. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm an evangelist of, of, uh, of, of running because I am too. Yeah. It's something I did when I was 10 years old and, and I just haven't, haven't seen myself doing anything uh, other than, uh, than, than promoting the idea of running for sure. And how did the idea of Miami marathon that one's a, a little bit longer story, but, but, uh, we have, uh, what, we have all the time you want to give us. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying it's not as quick as saying, Hey, I, you know, I was 10 years old and we started the race. Um, but no, it, it was, uh, it was actually close to 20 years ago. And, um, the, the story, uh, includes, uh, uh, the fact I have to include the fact that I was coaching at a high school, uh, the same high school I'm still coaching at. And, uh, I was looking for a, a way to inspire these, um, young men that I that that were on my team it was a middle school that I was coaching at the time and I came across this photo in a in a magazine that magazine happened to be triathlete magazine I myself was still running I was uh I was uh finishing my master's at in at, at FIU I um I, I had run collegiately so running was still around my life I was helping to organize some races uh so I, I had running in mind. So the industry I, I was, was something I was paying attention to. So I was glancing through this magazine, this triathlete magazine, and uh, an advertisement caught my attention for a San Diego triathlon. And it happened to have a photo of uh, Robin Williams 
uh, pictured with uh, a, a young boy by the name of Rudy Garcia Tolson. And Rudy is um, a double amputee. Uh, you don't, you know, for, for those that are watching at some point, you know, make sure you look him up because he's, uh, he's, an, he's grown up to be an amazing athlete. But he's a I'll double amputee. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. So um, he's a double amputee at 12 years old in this photo saying, you know, come join me in, in, in this triathlon. And I thought, this kid's got, he's got prosthetic legs. He's um, uh, 12 years old. I got I to gotta show his photo to my kids, but maybe, who knows, maybe I'll invite him and bring him to meet my high school kids or my middle school kids at the time I was coaching and reached out to him and his family. And um, long story short, they said, yeah, we'll send him to Miami because they were based in California. We'll send his dad with him and uh, you can have him for a couple days, you know, and have him meet your guys. And I said, and I said, oh, how much, how much will it cost to bring him? He said, they said, well, no, just the cost of, of his travel. And this is a young boy who had even been on Oprah because his story was so inspiring back then and, um, and still is. And so I, uh, I said, well, but I'm going to give you guys something. And the, mo the mother said, listen, his name is Rudy Garcia Tolson. Miami is a Hispanic town. Can you expose him to the Hispanic media? And I said, look, my undergrad degree was in public relations. I will spread that news as much as I can. And I'll see, maybe somebody picks up the fact that he's in Miami and they want to have an interview. And she goes, look, so the only thing is Garcia, but he doesn't speak Spanish. And I said, we'll, we'll work through that. Uh, so uh, lo and behold, we, we had him here. We sent out a few press releases and he was picked up as a... Uh, one of the things we had him do while he was here was compete in the triathlon with me. He did the run, run and swim portion. I did the bike. And in that race, uh, he was um, interviewed by uh, an affiliate of Fox uh, News, uh, WSBN down here. And it played on the news that night that this young boy with no legs had completed a triathlon. And the mayor, his chief of staff, happened to be watching that night. And uh, he saw it and was inspired by it. And he said, hey, look, uh, he reached out to me and he said, hey, you don't know me, but uh, my name is Javier Soto. I am interested in meeting that young boy. Can you bring him to my staff and the mayor as well to meet him? And I said, I, I'll do what I can, you know, um, arrange his schedule the following day he was leaving. And so uh, we took him to the mayor's office. I told you this is a long story, but I think <laughs> I'm enjoying every second of it. So. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I, I drove him over to the mayor's office and um, one little detail I'd like to, to, to mention is that we were actually in the Everglades. For those that don't know what the Everglades is, I looked that up as well, but the Everglades is one of the largest national parks in the country and we have it down here and it's in the middle of nowhere uh, and uh, they have alligators and Rudy wanted to go see an alligator. He had never seen an alligator up, up close and not only hadn't seen an alligator, but he wanted to tell his friends that he lost his legs <laughs> um, to an alligator, uh, you know, so, but Rudy, Rudy actually, uh, he had Terrigen syndrome, which at, at a very young age, he had, he had, a, you know, this deformity and, and it just didn't allow his legs to grow the, the right, the right way. So, but he still had this humor to him. So he still has this humor, which is basically, frankly, I'm not going to tell everybody I have Terrigen syndrome at 12 years old. This kid's telling me this. He's like, I want to tell him I lost it, you know, with an alligator. So anyhow, we took him out there. He wrestled an alligator. You know, they had the alligator taped up, but he, he got some photo ops, uh, amazing, amazing photos. Um, and so we rushed him from there to the mayor's office, 29th floor in downtown Miami. 
uh, mayor of Miami-Dade County, had him sit down with, uh, with Rudy for a little bit. They did some Q&A. And one of the questions that's get, that gets asked is, from the mayor's uh, mouth, <laughs> is um, Rudy, what, what it, Rudy, what is the longest distance you've ever um, uh, run? And Rudy said, well, I've done you know, some 10Ks. Um, I'm going to do a half marathon. And, uh, but eventually, my goal is to do a marathon and, and one day do an Ironman. And so uh, the mayor says, well, do we have a marathon here in Miami? And, and that's where the question kind of, you know, hit, we all hit the pause button at that moment. And the chief of staff and I walked out of the room after and he said, let's talk. And I said, yeah, I mean, I think we should try to have a marathon here so that one day Rudy can come run it and, and uh, we could join the rest of the, of the major cities in the world that have their own uh, major race. Miami had one in the 70s and 80s, but it dissipated. And so we kind of knew what not to do. And, uh, and like they say, the rest is history. We got together, a couple, a couple friends of mine, and started the Miami Marathon in 2003. The race quickly grew from 3,000 runners or so to what it is now, which was upwards of 20,000. Um, I've gone through several acquisitions. I no longer own the race by myself. Uh, it's uh, now owned by Lifetime. Lifetime is the uh, largest health club, one of the largest health club operators in, in the country. So I, uh, I work with them now to organize this uh, uh, multinational world-class uh, event that takes place uh, every January or early February here in, in Miami. So, yeah. Very cool. Sorry. I actually was um, doing my research because I want to be informed and be able to ask smart questions. And, and I could not <laughs> find how the, the marathon came about. Sure. It's a good so, question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, that's a very, very cool story. Um, so in terms of organizing a race and, and how complicated, I mean, in my mind, organizing a race that's 20,000 runners has to be quite an undertaking. So yeah, how sure. many and departments it, are involved like in the city? I imagine it's police, fire, firemen. I mean, how do you... Sure. Yeah, there's, there's over, happen. yeah, there's over, our, our last police count was somewhere in the 500 range. There's 500 officers that are out on the course. Uh, medics, there's probably a couple hundred between medics and nurses and doctors. Uh, it, it, it involves every jurisdictional uh, or every department within every jurisdiction. So you multiply it by three because uh, we've got the county and two cities, the city of Miami Beach and Miami. It becomes a, a, a puzzle for sure. And this is pre-COVID. So I can only imagine how things are going to get after and all the, uh, all the different requirements that are going to be uh, in place. And it's, uh, it's, it's a task that takes us an entire year to plan. Uh, we've got a team of about 15 um, folks that work on it one way, shape, or form during the year. And then the staff grows to about 200 on race weekend. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's a, some folks just see a start and finish line and, and some cups of water and, um, and they don't realize everything that went to getting to that point, nor do they realize what it takes that day. Uh, it's, uh, it's certainly, um, you know, something that now it's, it's basically a profession. It's a, it's a career for, for a lot of folks. And, um, and Miami's not even close to being the largest, obviously we've got only, a, we've got a half and full marathon. The, the smaller of the two races is the full, but we do 20, 22,000, 23,000 people. 
Um, you add in the 5K, it's another 2,500 uh, 2, to 3,000. So we have 25,000 runners versus, you know, what New York is at 40, 50,000 runners. I, I can only imagine how much more complicated it gets as it grows, but we're certainly a, a complex uh, operation that, um, that works pretty hard to do what we do. And, and, right. and that doesn't include all the promotional elements leading up to and everything to, that we do to get people excited and, and um, you know, travel around the world pre-COVID to promoting the event, uh, mainly Latin America. That's where most of our uh, runners come from. So that adds the complexity. The fact that you have to market and you have to convince people to do a race in a place that generally speaking has a reputation for not just fun, but being hot. And, um, you know, we have to kind of talk them through that and say, listen, we start at 6 a.m. And we've got to tell them our story as to why it makes sense to come do a race in Miami with, you know, so many other options out there. And it's January, too. I mean, if, if Disney World could have races, they have them yeah. in April. <laughs> then yeah, Miami can have one in January. So, I mean, that is true. Yeah, yeah. So how many volunteers do you have, like, in the water stations and well again pre-covid because god knows what the water stations are going to look like right i have to keep, right. keep reminding myself uh, no we, we do about two thousand volunteers throughout the the entire race and every aid station might have i don't know a couple hundred uh per station um some have less depending on what mile they're at uh but it uh it, it varies it certainly isn't uh, a perfect science um, but volunteers are definitely the lifeline of the event when it comes to passing out water and food and medals and all the amenities that a runner gets. Right. Do you guys have plan to, because we're very far, but are you even taking registration for next year? Yeah, no, we, we've been taking you registrations. Okay, cool. Um, you know, the, the folks probably, I would say 10 to 20 people sign up a day. We're, we're at about 6,000 runners right now. Um, I'm sure we're going we're gonna to feel some of the effects of travel restrictions and international travel is going to uh, take a hit. Uh, we're, we're talking about all, this, all the, the new guidelines that might, you know, might be in place by then uh, and how that's going to look, um, whether we have to limit the overall field size, uh, whether we have to um, you know, extend the start lines, all these things that are being talked about. Uh, we may have to cut time limits and all these things to get our, us off the, the roads quick enough. Um, who knows where we're going to be in January, but all our staff is planning as if this, this event is, is still uh, happening. Um, and, uh, you know, fingers crossed and, and, and a lot of uh, prayers and, and uh, right. reminders to everyone to wear their mask leading through these next uh, few months to get Miami out of the, the, the slump. Um, right. But yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of hope inside me that, that we're going to be able to pull this off. It might be one of the first races in, in, of the new year. Who knows, you know? It could be. So who's, who's taking the lead on these, all these health measures? Like, is there... So we, have a, we have an operations team that they're, they're mainly dedicated to this. Um, and, uh, and, and prior to, this, to the, that event, we're hoping that we can host some of our other events. We've got a Thanksgiving run typical turkey trot uh, fashion uh we've got um a, a, a triathlon or two prior to that we're also working on a, a, a couple new events that were in the in the uh, hopper before this all broke out so we'll get some practice at a smaller scale before we get there 
but the operations team, uh, you know, one, one gentleman's name is Alex DeGracia. He kind of leads the charge on that. And then as a company, I'm sure we're going to get our own uh, learnings from uh, some of the other uh, markets that, that we're involved with. We, we also help organize the Leadville race, try out oh, wow. in New York. Yeah. Uh, the New York um, city try um, several mountain bike races. So we're, we're, we're going to take all those learnings, which I'm sure by January, there's going to be, you know, 10 more guidelines or a hundred more guidelines that, that have, have evolved or, or um, come to light. Right. That was actually going to be my, my other question. Do you, I don't know if as a race director, you talk to other race directors. Is that sure. like, do you guys yeah, sure. share information and, and tips? Yeah. So we, we do not only get info from, from the runners themselves, because uh, that's, that's an important piece as well as getting their feedback. Uh, and we've had a couple town hall meetings leading up to, but we are tapped into our industry, whether it's the associations, there's a few of them or, other friends that are race directors. Uh, so yeah, we won't pretend to, to know it all. I would, I would have hoped that by our race, New York may have happened, but that got canceled uh, or Boston or something else that we can kind of take notes from. But every day I feel like, um, you know, we might be one of the first, who knows, you know, so we got to prepare and as much as we can and, and listen to a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the, the experts in our industry and how they're planning. Uh, I know there's been a few races out there um, that, that have happened in, in a socially distanced manner. There's been obviously a hybrid of virtual races and a bunch of different things that we're paying attention to because we don't know what form it may take, you know, uh, come January. Certainly uh, unprecedented for, for all of us, but right, keeps right. us, I guess, thinking a lot. <laughs> right, so Marine Corps Marathon is supposed to happen in October. Yeah, that's what, they that's limited what I hear. the, yeah. The field size, uh, you know, so that's something that, that, you know, that they mentioned uh, was, I think, 12 minutes and under uh, or 12 minutes and faster. Uh, that, that may some, be something that we do as well. Um, I, don't, I don't know if we'll cut off at 12 um, because we do, we do have a warmer climate and, and people here tend to, uh, to run a little bit more um, in that 10 to 12, 10 to 13 range. We have a pretty liberal um, uh, finish line uh, time. Um, some folks in the half can take up to 16 minutes and that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, somewhat considered very flexible in, in, in our industry. So I'd like to stay true to some of that, but who knows, uh, where, where we're going to be in January, but we'll, we'll pay attention to the Marine Corps. If it's, it's due what for October, right? It's October 20 something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Realistically, when do you think you would need to have a decision to host Miami Marathon. Uh, we're, we're kind of looking at 90 days, at least 90 days out. Um, just cause I think that would still give folks, uh, some time to adjust travel if they need to. So, um, that's been the rule of thumb, uh, for, for a lot of, uh, races is the 90 day window. Um, you know, and, and if we can, if we know sooner, we're going to tell folks even sooner than that. Um, right now I can tell you the city's not taking permit applications. So, um, that's step one. Um, and, and I'd say closely followed by step one is going to be where the governor is on our phases here in Florida. We're right. still in phase one. Um, it's somewhat of a hybrid of phase one and two. He's sort of broken the state down into a few different parts, given the, the population um, sort of uh, the way the population spreads out. 
a bit. South Florida is obviously more concentrated. So I think that's why we're seeing what we're seeing. But um, if we, if we move past phase two, then I think we can start to have conversations on how we can have this, uh, this event. And for the time being, we're, we got our ear to the ground. We we're promoting the idea of running, um, not necessarily, you know, specifically encouraging people to register today. If they feel, you know, a bit nervous, we're also still working on our, um, deferral pot, well, our deferral policy is still in place and our transfer policy is still in place, which that that's always been the case. You can transfer to someone else or defer to the following year. We're which working is great. on the, yeah, it's, it's, it's something we, we did a couple of years ago. And, and I think most races are starting to, to, to offer some of the same, um, I never understood why you couldn't, you know, not pass a bid, but legally pass a bid with, you know, with the name transfer and the proper information uh, transferred over. That's something that always bothered me about our industry. So we changed that a couple of years ago, but uh, specific to, um, to the refund policy, when we opened registration back in January of last year, or February of last year, um, you know, our policy was no refunds. That is, uh, you know, that's something, and we had close to 4,000 people have registered back then. So um, as a race organizer, uh, we know we're still salaried and we still got our staff and we've still been working, uh, you know, the, the, up to now. Um, so there, there's work that has already been done, as they say. Uh, but we don't know what that refund policy will look like uh, in a couple months so that people can feel comfortable about investing the, in the likelihood of, of a race. Uh, I, I'd like to think we're pretty, pretty fair company when it's come to some of our other events, we've refunded outright everything. Um, but a, um, you know, it, it's, it's all going to be one of, it's very, I think it's still something we're still thinking through uh, before we put anything formally out there uh, for folks. But yeah. Okay. That I think it's very flexible because many other large marathons, I, I sign up for the nine plus one, which I don't know if you're familiar, is the program the New York Road Runners have to support. Yeah, 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 of course. You sign up mm -hmm. for nine races and then- Nine races and then you get the first, yes, correct. Yeah. yeah, so in theory, I'm running 2021. Um, I say in theory because things are moving. They, they, we really don't have the guaranteed bid as correct. of right now. So even though I pay for the races, <laughs> yeah, and the races yeah. no, you're right. didn't you're happen, right. You're right. They offered me either we refund you or you can yeah. keep the credit. So I chose to keep the credit. But now, because they're canceling this marathon for this year, I don't know. I really yeah. don't know what's going to happen. So yeah. we're in limbo. And if you're paying $300 that you pay for that package, yeah. for some people, it's a lot of money to be out of, you know, like sure. $300 that you could use. So. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and believe it or not, you mentioned New York, we talked quite a bit to, to New York, uh, the actual, their, their, I guess their number two, their, their technical director over there is to work uh, here actually with the Miami Marathon. Uh, and he, he moved uh, up, I'd say, to, to, uh, <laughs> to New York. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit larger. Uh, but we talk, we've been talking to him since this thing broke out and, um, and talking through the kinds of things he's been doing over there to, to keep um, the New York Roadrunners engaged in the, in the solution and at the same time, um, you know, think uh, about the, the running community as well. So. They're do I think they're doing, for what I see, they're doing wonders with their virtual races because they have sure. their app that's so sophisticated. Um, yeah, so yeah, much I think, stuff. So it's it's very easy for them to interact with the community. I think. Yeah, that. and I think I think the the the, the virtual race uh, component 
might also entice people to, to jump into a race, right? If, if I'm registering for a race and I know they have a virtual option, if I don't feel too good that day, or I just have gotten more nervous about the, you know, the situation and they're still having the event, at least you don't force that person to do something they don't want to do that day. And then at the same time, I think it, it also gives an opportunity for folks that can't travel to get a feel um, and, and apps are getting better and, and um, you know, audio messages and everything that you can do now through the different uh, services is certainly making uh, virtual racing a little bit more appealing. Uh, I'd hate for it to ever substitute for, for the physical race, but if it gets people out of, out of, out of their house to do something healthy, I'm, I'm all for it. Right. So now my last question that I wanted to ask you, because I am curious about this. Um, so when you're a race director of a big marathon, what happens that day for you? Like, are you <laughs> running around everywhere? Like, are you going from the start line to the finish line? Like, <laughs> I, I think, I think every race director has their style and what they like to do. Um, I, I try to do a little bit of everything that I like to do that day and that I think is necessary. Um, so I'll, I usually typically start my morning off. Um, I have a, uh, I call him a shadow, but it's just, it's a, it's a close friend that for the last 18 years has, um, has acted as my sort of right hand person. Uh, he doesn't work with me all year long. He just works for me with me that, that particular weekend. And he listens on the radio to anything that might be of concern. So him and I will meet say three o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning at, at his hotel. And I um, take him along for several drive throughs through the course. I'll go and check out the start line and the finish line and see how things are coming along there. I'll pass by the command center. And, uh, and then I usually will about 30 minutes before the race report to the start line and start to greet the dignitaries, uh, the mayor, the, or whoever it is. We've had generals, we've had, uh, famous people, you name it, we've had at our start line. So I'll go do that, do some photo ops, make one last walkthrough of the, of the start line itself. And, uh, and then I love to ride in the lead um, clearance vehicle, which is different from the pace vehicle. The pace vehicle is, is the pretty one. It's the, it's the one that's usually sponsored by somebody or, um, you know, it's got the clock on top and that one goes at a set pace and it's kind of just um, acting as a, as a visual uh, guide for, for the runners. But up in front of them is usually a, a series of police officers or, or um, a line of officers and motor uh, bikes or in cars. And then in front of that, I will drive my old pickup truck still. <laughs> um, so awesome. you know, I, I still love <laughs> to do that uh, with a flashing light and, uh, and my friend at the, in the passenger seat with radio channels and everything we, we're, we're in touch with. And just clear out the course ahead of the lead wheelchairs and the lead runners and and make sure that there are no major you know fires to put out along the way so we we get surprised quite a bit out there i mean some of the things we see because we're we're going through ocean drive and south beach and the nightclubs are letting out and the things sometimes that we've come across have been <laughs> um, you know things that no one else finds out about you know that we've been able to put out in a couple minutes and move things around and adjust cones or barricades or move a police officer to a different post. So I get to be like the, you know, the cop uh, that day, they even give me a police officer's hat that day just for fun. 
And so I'll do the whole course, um, the all, all 26.2 miles, and I'll come back to the finish line. And I, and I like to um, hold the tape for a few of the, the, the athletes that are still, you know, whether it's the fem first female or uh, the top, uh, you know, um, I, I'm near the finish line area. We also have a kid's race. So I'll wait there for that, that uh, you know, first uh, runner to come through. And then I'll spend the rest of the time walking through the festival and waiting for the last uh, runner. I, I wait for the last runner at the finish line. I like to put the, the medal on the last runner uh, and, uh, and make it a, I don't know, as important as it was for that first elite runner all the way through to, to that, uh, that last runner. So that's a little bit of my, my weekend <laughs> or my, that's my so morning. awesome. Yeah, yeah. A lot of fun. I, I, yeah, I always wonder what a big, you know, like a race director for me, big um, race, what they do. It's really more than just eight hours. You're there from the morning till like very late. Yeah. Oh, and then we're, we're at like the night before, I didn't get any sleep because we had a 5K. And the night before that, I didn't get any sleep because we had to close down the roads for the finish line setup. So it's a, it's a lot going on for, for several days uh, after that. Uh, you know, we're, we're pretty spent. Sure. <laughs> Very good. Well, this, this was amazing. I, um, I so you. appreciate that you took this interview. Um, where can folks find you? If, like can, you're on Instagram? Just, <laughs> yeah, I'm on Instagram, obviously. You, you know that. Um, yeah, well, I found uh, you there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's Frankie Ruiz. You can find me. I'm everywhere. And I try to speak to every different channel a little differently, but I've got LinkedIn, I've got Instagram, Facebook, um, all these, all these different outlets. And then of course the marathon itself has its own um, pages and handles. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think I'm pretty accessible as, as you, as you, as you know. I can vouch for that. Yes. If anybody needs anything in Miami, I'm, I'm, I'm your guy. I don't leave Miami too often. So <laughs> need anything you need here, whether it's running related or not, I, uh, I'm, I'm ready to serve. Thank you so much, Frankie. I'll put all the links below. Awesome. Thank you, Susie. Thank Appreciate you so it. much. Have a good night. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Frankie Ruiz. The links to all his social media platforms will be in the show notes. And please don't forget to visit the Iron Things community on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please come back to listen to more episodes. And as always, run fearless, you guys. Ciao.